We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday we talked about Anthony Davis's weekend this past weekend. Looked like a true superstar on the offensive end. And that was the case as well during the Utah game when the Lakers visited Utah that LeBron also missed. But today we're going to talk a little bit about how do we bridge that with a LeBron-led offense when he comes back. Shams reported yesterday that he's on track for either Friday or Sunday, depending on how he feels. So we'll see, but he should be back soon. We'll talk this week as well about kind of the cavalry arriving. You've got a Dennis and Thomas Bryant coming back as well. And so the Lakers, if they're going to shift, if they're going to make some changes, this is a great opportunity to do that in this week where they don't have any games. So D, I'm curious your thoughts on that. We got a very assertive Anthony Davis over these last couple of games. And that said, though, when LeBron is on the court, it certainly changes the dynamic of touches and just how things go. So I'm curious your thought on that. How do we bridge the AD that we saw this weekend with the version that's on the court with LeBron? So I think it really is a bridging of ideas from both of those players individually. Um, one of the things about AD, and this has been true his entire career, and in fact, it was true of him even in college, is that there was this idea of him as sort of the guy who likes to fit in and the guy who like, and this is a part of AD's origin story as well, right? That he was, he was basically a guard then he went through a massive growth spurt and he was, even when he won most outstanding player in the NCAA championship, it wasn't because he scored 40 points on like 17 for 17 shooting a la like Bill Walton back in like the 70s or, or something. It was because he was a dominant defensive player. I, I don't even think he shot like 10 shots that game, but he dominated the game through intangibles. And while AD was looked at as this generational prospect and the guy who could in theory be the next Tim Duncan, that was projecting offensively while rooted in defensive truth, if that makes sense. And 
over the course of his career, he has become one of those dominant scorers, but he is not the hub of the offense typical like high usage in the high in the mid 30s like give the ball to him back down Shaq as like the prototype or in today's league like Joel Embiid he is not that sort of guy he is the recipient of plays he can create for himself as he did against Brooklyn and but there's a certain amount of like we got to get you involved and part of that is mentality stuff as well where it's just like no bro like we go into you we go into you we go into you and with lebron out and darvin ham mike having sort of these conversations with ad about what's needed of him i think that did bridge the gap for him and it was a combination of those two things and so with lebron coming back I think it's on AD to keep that same mentality, but I also think, Mike, it's on LeBron to sort of be like, hey, like, I see you, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to you a lot, and we're going to run the offense through you more often, even when we share the court together, and that was something that LeBron did in their first season together, but I would argue that in the early part of this season, it's not been something that LeBron has been doing a fair amount of, even to the point that in some of these games that were close late, the Portland game, for example, like there was no one really on Portland that could guard Anthony Davis, but LeBron was orchestrating the offense in a way where it was more LeBron centric. And so LeBron's also going to need to adjust some too, Mike. And, And so I see it as both players sort of needing to meet in the middle a little bit. And so I don't want to absolve LeBron from this. In fact, I want to empower LeBron to sort of say like, hey, you need to help AD be this version of himself too, because I don't think it's in AD's natural state to say, give me the ball 40 times, times a game so I can create all of this offense. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And There's the internal situation, which is how much is LeBron going to emphasize AD versus how much is LeBron going to look to get himself in rhythm and how much those things can coexist at the same time. And then when Westbrook comes in, guns blazing off the bench, how much is he looking specifically to keep Anthony Davis getting touches versus getting his own offense going versus just driving and kicking? How much is Darvin Ham going to keep trying to get everybody else to get the ball to Anthony Davis? So I think that there are Issues there, uh, first of all, where it's going to be difficult for AD to maintain what's been happening the last couple of games. And then there are also outside issues, which is the opponents. And coming up, the Lakers are playing a bunch of traditional centers. So once you get past Detroit, who does not really have a traditional center. And in fact, Isaiah Stewart left last night's game with a foot thing. uh, So not sure if he's going to be back on Friday. And he's not even a traditional center. Now, he's more of a power forward who kind of slides over and plays center. Mm -hmm. And they might start Marvin Bagley at center. So Friday's game, to me, has to be spam AD again. But then you start to get into San Antonio three times in four games, and that's Jakob Pertl. And then Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton in the middle of those three. Then you have Indiana with Miles Turner. You have Portland with Nurkic. And then Milwaukee, the biggest team in the league, essentially, with Brooke Lopez and Giannis. And that stretch there... To put this back to you, Pete, how much can the Lakers have Anthony Davis play the way that he has played against more of these traditional centers when he's playing center? Yeah, no, that's I think that's 
everything really because that Detroit game with a Marvin Bagley or a Stewart at center that's another game where he should be looking to get a very high percentage of his shots in the paint as he did against Brooklyn but that lineup of Pirtle and Ayton and uh, Lopez and Giannis all of those guys that's where if AD is going to be a superstar on offense, that's where his perimeter game is really essential. When he does put up those, like, you know, those 40 point games against Gobert uh, over the course of his time, that, that game he had last year against Embiid, he's slicing and dicing them, those dudes D. And that's something that like, to me, it's his jump shot, right? That's something that it's really going to come back to that because if he's not overpowering guys, that's the way that he he has beaten guys. When we talk about him as being unguardable by by teams that are across from me, it's like, okay, you're going to put this smaller guy on me. I'm going to overpower you, whether it's, uh, you know, in the post, on drives, you know, finishing with those great contorting floaters that he has, you know, getting downhill on, on pick and roll. But if you're a big bruising dude that he's not going to overpower, you're just not going to have the foot speed to be able to keep up with him. And But that said, the way that teams guard us, not just Anthony Davis, but as a collective, those driving lanes are smaller. They Teams do not respond our shooters and as a result are going to devote less attention to those shooters and more to an AD in the post of LeBron on a driving lane and all of that. And so like a lot of the roads lead back to AD's jumper for me is that if he can knock down, it doesn't have to be even the three ball, right? It's just that like mid range type of 45% type of shooting that he's done several times in his career that combined with the rim runs with the, you know, using his speed and transition, all of that adds up to a dominant offensive player. But really like I, if he doesn't have that, I think those games are going to be tougher that Mike brought up as opposed to the Detroit's and the Sacramento's and the Brooklyn's that have small teams. So I think that's 100% right, but I'm still looking at the step that happens before that. Everything that you just described happens when AD actually has the ball. And so I'd like to actually mm. just concentrate on getting Anthony Davis the ball. Talk to me. Like, what are you seeing on that front? Well, I'm just saying that you can't score the ball without it, right? If you're working off ball or you're camping in the corner or you're running screen rolls, but then basically the ball handler is then turning that into a switch and then so they can isolate up high like that's all like you're involved but you're not that's faux involvement right it's like <laughs> sure. ve- it, it's like vegan leather that's not a real thing it, so so when i'm looking at at ad it's more this is what i was talking about with with lebron it's more like hey we're gonna actually spam these actions where we get you the ball and then tell you you're going to create some because I hear what you're saying, Pete, the jumpers got the fall. It's super important. Like, I'm not mocking you here. I'm saying like, that's totally true. But mm-hmm. give them the ball and sort of like make him go work against these these dudes. I'm sorry, man. Like, it's just like I get it that these dudes are good players and they're big, beefy players and they offer challenges to him. He's Anthony Davis. This isn't like like, oh, Jakob Pertl. Yeah, you're one of the better defensive big men in the world. Get, that's Anthony Davis. Like yeah, I think we lose AD sight when he's clicking. Like, yeah, yeah. I think we lose sight too often of what the talent level is and start to look at what has to work in order for things to go well. And I'm and I hear that part, but we can't skip steps, Mike. We can't be like, oh, well, this is a challenging thing, so let's start to go in this other direction, some because this might be the better way in order to optimize it. So it's like, no, let's start with giving him the ball 
and then we'll go from there. And that's sort of why I'm stuck on that idea a little bit more, because where AD hasn't gotten the touches is when his production falls off. It's not because he's suddenly shooting two for 10 in second halves. That's not how how it goes. It's because he gets up two shots in the sec- in the entire second half or four shots in the entire second half. And that's a product of touches as much as anything else. I 100 percent love that point. And I want to to bring it into another point about kind of the jump shooting, which is something that, of course, I'd love to talk about. I don't want Anthony Davis, even against the biggest centers, to just feel like he's got to sit out there and bring them out and, and sort of dot jumpers over them. I think that, okay, take Jakob Pertl, for example. We're going to see a lot of him this week. AD could kick Jakob Pertl's ass, and, it, and not just by having jump shots, but by giving him the ball repeatedly, spacing the floor a certain way. And if you have to pull Westbrook off the court to get a shooter to put in one corner, that's fine. Uh, and, and like, make him come out at least a couple steps and just drive into him, you know, drive into him. And like Pirtle is not going to want to do that possession after possession after possession. And to me, like get him off the floor because that's when I, I always try to think back to that 1920 team. That's when the Lakers and AD really started kicking everyone's ass. When you just basically can't play a center when he's out there Mm -hmm. at center, because you're going to keep going to him. But if you don't do that, and if you, if you have either LeBron or Westbrook or like Lonnie Walker taking early shot clock threes and just guys like Beverly trying to create or just do guys doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, which is part of what AD referred to after the Kings loss. And when he was, he was basically saying like, well, we've, we've been over that. I, I won't repeat it again, but, that's the thing, Pete, that I that Darvin Ham started to bring up in the not settling that to me, yes, the jump shot looks fine. And I'm not saying he can't take any jump shots, but that's the aggressive type mentality that I think that he's got to have even against these bigger teams um, to for the Lakers to really be a better team than they are, because if he's going to settle for jumpers and everybody else is going to settle for whatever the stuff they're doing, then the offense is just not going to be good. And I think we actually agree on this point. I think that there's a version of AD's jumpers that are settling for jumpers. And then there are other versions where he's put a move on a guy and that guy's on his back foot and there's just a certain life and energy to him that creates a good shot. Also against those big bruising types, most of the time, those guys can't defend on the perimeter, which means they're usually in a drop coverage, right? And so one of the things I've noticed, even over the last couple of years since LeBron and AD have been together, they're close enough size-wise where a lot of teams switch that, where it's just easier to do that than be in a drop with down AD and uh, LeBron James coming downhill. But that's much harder to do if it's a guard and AD on the roll. And so one of the ways to attack a Pirtle who is going to be in a drop coverage is to have those guards that are getting downhill. In the fourth quarter, when we closed out Brooklyn the other night, we went to Lonnie AD pick and rolls a bunch of times. And I think that that's a way that now, mind you, much smaller team, but same type of concept, right? Like Lonnie is going to attack the basket. And uh, to an extent where you've got to commit to him if you're that hedging big. And that means that you also got to get back to Anthony Davis, but that putting pressure on the rim. But also, D, something that we talked about, having a guard that can hit a pull-up jump shot out of those is super important too. And this isn't something that LeBron really does on pick and rolls. Even when they don't switch it, he's not really, okay, I'm going to pull up from the elbow and take this shot. And so that's something that with Lonnie, but also with Dennis's return, I'm excited about. So I think we've got a couple of different versions 
of being able to attack those bigger teams, but they are going to pinch in the paint and we are going to have to hit jumpers. Yeah. And so this is where I also think let's move to LeBron here and his role within this, because when you're talking about there's two specific things, the LeBron AD pick and roll has traditionally been like a go to play for for the Lakers. But for it to work at its best, there's three aspects of it that are super important. One is how do you beat the switch? And traditionally, there's been a healthy mix between LeBron saying, oh, well, my man, who was probably a wing or a bigger forward, is now guarding Anthony Davis, but I've got now AD's man on me, and that's the center. And this season specifically, LeBron has favored attacking the center in the switch rather than going to AD Mm -hmm. in the post against whoever was guarding LeBron, right? And so, and we saw this against New Orleans where he started to like ISO against Larry Nance a bunch. And I'm sort of just like, hey, like, can we get the ball to AD even if it's against Nance, but particularly if it's on the switch after that play where it's like whoever was guarding you, LeBron, like a Herb Jones tight end. I I don't think Herb Jones played, but like a wing. Sure. Right. Can we go to AD against that guy? And that's exactly the kind of guy that AD thrives against in the post, the guy he can physically overwhelm. So that's part one of that. And then Mike, part two and three of that are really LeBron and what is his offensive mindset against a non-switch play, right? And so, A, is he looking to turn the corner? And this season, he has not been looking to turn the corner a lot coming off of the pick and roll. And instead, he is flaring out his dribble and he's throwing that really quick pocket bounce pass where he's basically leading AD into a crowd of people. These are difficult catches. And he's and then AD is then surrounded. I don't really count that as a touch for Anthony Davis or mm, looking mm-hmm. to exploit and get Anthony Davis going. I see that as more of a, hey, like we're drawing multiple defenses, but then AD is going to have to make a play for someone else typically, or he's going to shoot a very crowded shot. The other part of that is, is LeBron's pull-up shooting. Well, LeBron's pull-up shooting has not been very good this season. He started to get it going in the game that he then tweaked his growing in, but that was the first game where his jump shot actually looked natural. And so why don't we go to break here? And on the other side, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this interplay between LeBron and AD and how much his game needs to basically cater to AD now in order to keep this run going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There haven't been many times that I or really probably anybody has been trying to analyze how to optimize LeBron's offense in a way because he's always just been <laughs> so great yeah. at it. And it almost feels sacrilegious to try and to try and say, well, maybe the better option is to have more of the load fall upon Anthony Davis and let him attack in different ways and basically help him with the way that you know you're initiating actions. And more typically it's just been like Go ahead, LeBron, you know, trust what that's going to be. And frankly, that's a difficult position also for the coach to be in. And I just don't know. I, I, these are the kind of things that I I think we need to ask LeBron about some. But when you ask LeBron, he's always going to give you the best basketball answer uh, because he's sure. a basketball genius and he knows all of the ways to to get into it. But I do think there's a there's a level of LeBron trying to figure out exactly what he can still do at his most efficient at this age and what are the teammates around him and how are they able to complement that? And that's, that's kind of a figuring out process that I saw Kobe go through um, after his Achilles. And this is different. Like LeBron is still at a higher level. Um, I think than what Kobe was after that injury, but there that's a, like you, you still feel like you're that guy um, out there. And oftentimes you are, but Kobe also didn't have somebody like Anthony Davis out there. Mm -hmm. He had, you know, young Julius Randle um, and D'Angelo Russell, right? And on and on. And those are the more talented, right, of the players that he was playing with. Lou Williams, so, Mike, he had Lou Williams and Nick Young. <laughs> don't get me started, bro. <laughs> Real quick, the other day, sorry, quick sidetrack, Mike. The other day I saw the infamous uh, Jimmy Kimmel interview where you did the the walk off with Jeremy Lin and Jordan Hill oh, yeah. and all Crashed that and then Kobe Jordan rolled his eyes. What what are your memories of of that uh of that moment? Well, I was basically horrified uh without with while well, trying <laughs> to not trying to not seem like I was horrified. Uh, so I was my reaction internally was the same as Kobe's, but externally yes. knowing you I, I wasn't I, that gonna, doesn't surprise me at all. I wasn't going to show the guys up there by being like, I, if you see my face, I, I haven't seen this in a long time, but I remember looking at my face and doing kind of like a, like, are we really doing this guys? But like kind of half smiling, <laughs> like, all right, well, and, but then there's another part of me that loves Nick Young specifically so much that there's almost nothing that he could do that I wouldn't find amusing. So I kind of enjoy the Nick Young part of it just because that's who he is and he's a total goof and I've never, even on Instagram now, like with him or Gilbert Arenas or his son, Swaggy P always, always gets me to smile. And in fact, I, I wish that he was like an analyst for us at Spectrum a little bit more often just to get him in the studio and switch things up. So I love that. A lot of conflicting emotions going on, but my, my, initial, my initial lot would have been with Kobe. And I always just hoped, like when I saw that, and I, d I never got a chance to specifically ask Kobe about it, I hoped that he knew 
that I was not into it. <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> like that I was not part of it. You're standing there, Kobe, like on camera, Kobe, no, no. Kobe, I have nothing man, to do this, with this. Hey, I didn't do this. Okay. I gotta still ask him the questions, you know, but yeah, I I I'm like, don't please don't associate me with this, Black Mamba, please. Classic uh bad Lakers team moment right there. With respect to LeBron, that that whole dynamic you're talking about, about being the man, but also aging and figuring out not only what can I do, but what can I do within the context of my teammates? How much should I lean on someone else? That impacts everyone else too, right? Like when LeBron is on the floor, there's a natural, that's the king. Of course he should have the ball. Of course, like that same thing you were talking about that's happening internally within LeBron's head. There's a difference from his teammates as well. And so that's something where I, I kind of want to shift the focus to the teammates and to who surrounds them. Just to add one thing into that, Pete, I think that was there was that deference to Russ, especially last year also. Mm. And that was just misplaced. Like it's not the deference to LeBron to me is still well placed. Like I, I still get that. And I still think that he can lead productive offense. And, and you've argued for that point more than I have. So that's I don't I'm not going to that point. But when Westbrook is also out there, you know, there's this just kind of for the role players, right? Russ still, he's still Russ. And so he still looks like, and, and he's still basically demanding the mm-hmm. ball all the time, you know? And that's the, that's the sort of pecking order type stuff that when, like when LeBron was out, it's so clear, I think to everyone else, including the role players that AD should be the one getting those touches more. That was less clear mm-hmm. last year, even though it shouldn't have been less clear. But now that LeBron comes in, that dynamic gets complicated again. No, I, th- I think you're spot on with that. And I, I'm glad you, you specified that because what I'm talking about is specifically the LeBron and AD units. There's been so much focus on Russ the last couple of years that the groups that have LeBron and AD on but Russ off have been bad for two years now. Now, a, a big part of that's the roster, but in the roster of the last couple of years. But I also think we're still in that process, Mike, of figuring out like who works alongside who. So for example, I think Troy Brown is a real natural fit next to LeBron and AD lineups. And so when I go through the roster, we talk about uh, Dennis and TB coming back. I think I think Dennis is going to be super helpful just because he's that lead guard that can hit a pull-up jumper. But I'm curious where you land on that, D, of that idea of like, what are the guys, aside from Russ, right, that in those LeBron and AD, Russ off the court lineups, that you think accentuate what those guys are capable of now in a way that can really help an an Anthony Davis as more of the focal point help that shine? Yeah, I think that Troy Brown's a good example. Austin Reeves. There needs to be a certain amount of two-way play and on the offensive side of that two-way play, I think that shooting and ball handling are super important. And so, um, and with that, a certain amount of feel, right? And so this is where I agree with you on Dennis, right? Like, but this is where I wish Dennis had more of Russ's passing gene than mm-hmm. he does as a player. Like, yeah. I think that we've been rightly critical of a lot of the stuff lot of the bad parts of Russell Westbrook's game. And I think we're going to continue to point those those things out, particularly when they're detrimental, um, like they were in that second quarter stretch against the Kings. But he's had a run of like double digit assist games and Mm -hmm. he is creating shots for teammates in ways where his passing instincts, even while playing as fast as as he does, um, are still 
pretty strong and his mm-hmm. ability to pick out shooters or even like spoon feed bigs for interior shots those are those are the types of plays that can help you sustain a, a three or a four minute stretch of of offense where you don't go two or three minutes without scoring or where your only basket is on free or where your only points are on free throws because you're in the penalty right like Russ kept a unit afloat with no Anthony Davis and no LeBron against a team that had Kevin Durant on the floor. Now, he didn't like extend the lead or whatever, but it's just like, okay, well, we got outscored 10 to 6 over Mm -hmm. a four minute period. It's just like, okay, like, okay, like, I'll live with that when you've got Wenyan Gabriel as your other offensive shot, like, shot maker and like it's two man game. and, And so, in so in bringing it back to the units that surround LeBron and and AD, I definitely want a certain amount of shooting and ball handling and offensive feel. And I think Dennis has like two and a half of those things. It's the offensive feel part as as a passer that I wish he had just a little bit more of. But I do think his ability to organize the the, the offense and and his defensive ability, and this is where I shift back to the other side of the floor, where I think that ability to sort of get the game going and transition from defense to offense is also particularly important with with LeBron and AD on the floor because I think Mike both of those guys need a little bit of poking and prodding to play faster at times as well and I think Dennis can do that for them in the same way that Russ can do that for them but Dennis is less wild than Russ and so there's like pieces of this that that I think that can fit but I'd love to hear your thoughts about those role player guys to tie this into the whole start of the podcast and what we're we're, I think we're still mostly talking about Anthony Davis right yes like I think that when they're in the film room and when they're in practice I just think it needs to be additionally clear from everyone and this coming from Darvin to Dennis right to Russ like hey give the ball more to Anthony Davis that's what we're doing this year more we've seen it work Okay, like let's keep doing that. That this has to be part of what we're doing. Dennis, we know you like to attack. We know you like to look for your own shot. We know you like to pull up and take jump shots. Darwin knows Dennis's game. He coached him for five years in Atlanta. But I hope that Dennis is coming into this situation not thinking, especially if he's on the floor with LeBron and AD versus when he's not. And that's the same thing with Russ. Like Russ, LeBron and AD are not here. Go ahead. That this is now. This is now your time. And it's just basketball IQ kind of knowing who's out there and that's that's the type of stuff that we haven't seen from all of the role players the last couple of years that it like it's a there's a clear pecking order and I'm not I think for a long time LeBron James being number one but it's it's different because LeBron can always just go get the ball or bring the ball up or initiate the way I just don't want them to go these possession after possession where they're doubling or, or sorry where they're not giving the ball to AD and then if defenses right. start to double him then how do you play out of that and it, it just to me it hasn't it hasn't always been fluid there and i think that that's that's the fault of the other players um less so than yes. the coaches in in AD and a big part of the reason why i emphasize jump shooting on this team is because of that is because the way they double ad most of the time like if they're sending hard doubles to ad i consider that a win where we can get into trouble is when they're digging and it's like a one and a half type of team but they're an extra step closer to ad so they can you know cuz he's got such great moves where he can you know 
quick drop step and he's at the rim or dips his shoulder and he's shooting that jump hook in the paint. And the defenses will really try to take that away in exchange for letting somebody else shoot an open jump shot or create, you know, off of, uh, off of the dribble after rotation. And so that's part of where I'm at with like one of the guys I, I land on with this whole discussion D is Pat Bev is that, I think that to maximize Anthony Davis on the offensive end, I think jump shooting is important, just the ability to catch and shoot, which is one of the reasons why Troy Brown, I think, is a natural fit, is that he could just catch that shot and let it go. And that's something that Pat Bev has done historically okay, but he's shooting 23%, I think, from three this season. But more important than that, I think, is that you're not getting offense from him anywhere else either. And so that's one of the things that I think that we dip below a certain level of offense sometimes with the starting group. Um, Again, these LeBron AD groups, but Russ off of the floor, we dip below a certain level of offense that that's one of the places I kind of zero in on. I think it'd be very strange to start Dennis after he hasn't played any of training camp, any of the games so far this season. But from a basketball fit, that's kind of where my mind goes is a Dennis and Bev swap and Bev going to to, uh, to be a part of that bench group that is a little bit smaller, but has to guard up, needs more of a catch and shoot low usage guy because he got Russ. You got Austin, I think, in that two-guard spot and that's been working well. Lonnie's been good with those groups as well. So that's kind of where I go, D, is that around Anthony Davis, I think you need a little more offense because like you said earlier, he's not – has not historically been that guy that you are – like when he was coming up at Kentucky that was just that offensive superstar. I definitely agree. One of the things I would kick back to you just as an open question is how do you negotiate – the loss of defensive spirit or the sort of willingness to be like, okay, well, I will take on this job that maybe even I'm ill-suited for, but I'm going Mm. to do it as hard as I possibly can because this is what the team requires. And I take pride in that. And I will tell you about it after the game about why it mattered as well. But it's just like, I like Pat Bev is taking on some of those matchups so that LeBron doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that that switch and change out means that there might be more defensive responsibility on LeBron James, for example, where. And so how do you negotiate that and how, and how do you navigate that? I think usually in the NBA, the first couple minutes are more feel out for both teams. And it's so if the Lakers aren't, let's say that Beverly's not starting and Schroeder is starting. Well, on the one hand, Schroeder is going to give you a bunch of defensive pressure. And he's going to pick up 94 feet and it's not going to be on whoever the best wing is, but he it's going to be on the point guard. And that's going to set at least some kind of a tone. And we saw that happen two years ago uh, when shooter played pretty good and set a nice tone defensively. But if there's one of those players that you just really need uh, that type of energy that Beverly tried to bring against Paul George or Kevin Durant, then I, I would never be opposed to starting him in certain spots. But if not, let's say the Lakers come out and they're a little flat defensively then just bring him in, bring him in earlier, uh, just like they do with Russell Westbrook. And it's kind of like a signal to the team. Okay, guys, like from Darvin Ham, no, this isn't working. Pat, go and harass this dude, you know, pick up your first couple fouls, you know. And so I think that you can mitigate any loss of the overall group dynamic, which I, by the way, did think was important to start the season, that he start for those kind of purposes. But now I'm I'm a little bit more in seeing in seeing how the rest of the roster might balance out that that I think you could 
you could get enough defensive energy and intensity that way too. Maybe. Yeah, I don't have a great answer for your question, D, in that like a lot of the solutions and the, hey, what if we tried this? A lot of the roads lead to like, oh, God, I wish we had another forward. Because the, the answer that I'd like to go with is Dennis at the one, Troy Brown at the two, and a three that can <laughs> that I'm conjuring in my mind that really isn't on the roster that can take some of the LeBron defensive responsibilities that isn't small, that isn't asking Troy Brown to guard like a six, eight guy that is maybe a little bit stronger than him. I would love to have that look. And that's one of the ways that you could argue, Hey, maybe Thomas Bryant at the five, you just have a bigger lineup all around, but offensively, I think you kind of clunk up the spacing, right? Just Walker and Brown have both been good, but they're both more twos than threes. Yeah. And and that shows up. That's why you need Pat Beverly to guard certain guys. Right. So it's just, they're, they're a little bit duplicative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why, too, I am very interested to see what this lineup and what the rotation looks like with all of these guys available, because they're in the massive Venn diagram where every single Lakers player represents is a circle that that's on this 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 page. You're going to find overlap between Austin Reeves and Troy Brown. You're going to find overlap mm-hmm. between Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook. You're going to find overlap between Dennis Schroeder and Lonnie Walker. You're going to find all of this stuff, right? And finding finding then the right five circles that connect in the right ways mm-hmm. in order to build out the best lineups. That's typically the work of the preseason. And the first 15 games of the season. And guess what? Like the preseason featured a bunch of guys out. And then and then right before the season started, Brian and Dennis wrecked their thumbs and they haven't played a game since. And Troy Brown didn't even start the season healthy because of his own back issues. And so the Lakers have been playing catch up in ways that is reflected in their record. But their record is also reflected in a bunch of other stuff. Right. And and so I'm intrigued at the possibilities, but I'm also rooted in the understanding that those possibilities actually represent choices that need to be made. Mm-hmm. And when you have to make choices, sometimes the choices don't always work out. And you have a vision in your head about how things will go. And then when they don't go that that way, how long do you stick with it? How quick do mm-hmm. you pivot to something else? And these ideas and the push and pull, it's why the head coach is the head coach and why he mm-hmm. gets all the spotlight shining right on him. And so this is where Darvin Ham is going to come under focus even more, I think, mm-hmm. and, and how things are going to play out with this team and with this roster, because as everyone gets healthy, guys, like there are choices to, to be made. And to me, that Dennis versus Pat Bev question is an integral one because the offense versus defense and what the team needs at any given time, that's a... I don't want to say a difficult thing, but it has to be in the right balance. And it's been mm-hmm. out of balance some, and some of that is player performance, but some of it is that one of these guys just hasn't been available. So what's it going to look like when he is available? And I'm interested to see it just like everyone else. Very much so. And I think that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. We got the cavalry returning on Friday. And I think that those choices that you pointed out become a lot tougher, a lot more complicated, and they're a lot closer. So tomorrow we're going to take a closer look at that uh, Dennis and TB returning. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 6 
16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.